Hello, and welcome back to the KedCast. I am once again joined by a guest. Guest, introduce yourself, please. Hello, everyone. My name is Jose. Um, I don't know exactly where we're going we're gonna to do basic college icebreakers. I'm a fourth year physics student here at UT Austin. I'm doing the Elements of Computing Certificate, um, and I'm Filipino. <laughs> yeah, I, I popped off on the last person who introduced themselves by their college normal things because it's like, I don't know. That's just like such a weird. Okay, it's okay. I, I, okay. So, what is something, I don't know, this past week, this past month that really like, captured your imagination and just like wow that's so cool that's a really good question um i think what i'll say to that is um i mean this is this isn't this isn't the relatively recent thought but i was discussing the idea of free will with uh somebody from from kins from a reductionist standpoint so what that means is you break everything down down to its like fundamental uh, fundamental thing, whatever that is. Um, this uh, conversation came up because I read a book called Until the End of Time by this physicist named Brian Green. And uh, he talks about the history of the universe from the very beginning um, and focuses a little bit like places emphasis on like, you know, how complex life came to be, human civilization, uh, how we came to write stories, et cetera, consciousness. Um, and then he goes all the way to the projected end of the universe many, 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 many years after the human race is, uh, is extinct. And uh, one of the ideas that he talks about while the human, the, during the timeline of which humans are alive is free will. So yeah, according to him, uh, free will um, from the reductionist standpoint is an illusion. Well, what do you think about free will? You, uh, you Catholic person, guy, man thing? <laughs> Well, um, that's interesting. Well, as a Catholic, what I'll say is, yes, I, I, do, I do believe in free will. I believe that God gave us uh, free will. He gave us the decision to, well, basically choose ourselves or choose him. I do believe that's a power that he's, he's given us and bestowed upon us. Um, however, if you were to ask me to look at free will from the physicist standpoint, um, yes, from the reductionist, fundamentally, Every single thought that passes like through our head, through our mind, et cetera, you can just reduce it to a bunch of molecules passing in and out of our brain. You can break it down even more quantum mechanically. These are just particles that can be uh, described mathematically through wave functions by solving Schrodinger's equation. So from that sense, uh, yeah, as a physicist, what I'll say is, yeah, free will is an illusion. So can you hold these two things to be true at the same time? And if you think the answer is yes, explain why. Uh, intuitively, to me, it seems like you cannot hold that these are the, the, these like that these two hold the same position. Either that, or you would have to say that like like somehow within the fact that there's some level of deter deterministic uh, molecules interacting with each other, that somehow God allows like the human conscience to like function like through those same things that that are like knowledgeable that those will happen to some degree, but that there was still free will there to begin with or throughout the process, I guess, how do you reconcile these things? Or if you don't, just like explain that as well. That's actually a really good question. Um, I've been, I, I thought about this before and I was, I was kind of going a little bit crazy because yeah, what, what you do say is that it seems to be mutually exclusive that these two things can hold true. Um, but I, I was discussing this with, um, yeah, the one of the people that I've met very recently in a very, very random way. 
um, the other day, um, he brought up an interesting point. He said, well, if you try and really mesh those two ideas together, God allowed you to have that thought, <laughs> which is which is an interesting uh, thing to bring up. I mean, like God allowed you to uh, to ponder like, you know, quantum mechanics, you know, uh, physical chemistry, et cetera, and all, all, all of these things. And that conjured up that thought in your head um, that, you know, free will can be reduced to a bunch of like quantum mechanics and equations. So I, I'm still struggling with that idea. I try not to think about it too much because I think my brain's going to explode. But that's all I'll, I'll say for now, what, what he said. Yeah, that, that God allows you to have that specific thought. But at the same time, like, as you're on this podcast, you're, like, picking out what word you're going to say. Like, like, intuitively, I don't know. I feel like, to me, it doesn't make sense to say that somehow the words that I'm choosing are, like, not my own or are, like, not that someone may not know that they all will happen, but that they pre-existed me because, I don't know, I feel like I'm saying my words, you know? Yeah, so what what uh, Brian Green actually talks about in the book, and forgive me, uh, Doctor Green, if I get this wrong, but uh, uh, it's uh, so free will is an illusion, right? And the the reason why we're we feel like we have free will, we feel like we have command over our thoughts or actions, exactly what we're gonna do. For example, the situation he poses in the book is there's someone about to get hit by a car, and you, uh, you know, consciously move and try and save them, get them out of the way. Whereas like, you know, a rock, for example, is kind of just like chilling there, sitting there. So this illusion of free will, this idea that you you have, you know, control over, you know, basically your your everything about you, that comes from the fact that we're highly complex as a, as a like a, a living organism. We're a very complex living organism and we're granted such a high degree of freedom to uh, that which we can we can you know choose how to interact with the world right just from our um, I mean if you break everything down like a rock or a person they're like they're they're just a bunch of you know atoms protons electrons etc but the way that you build these things and come up with this uh, this larger more complex organism you have more degrees of freedom with which you can interact with the world and so everything uh, becomes a lot more complex you have you know quote unquote freedom of choice quote unquote free will. And so that's how he describes it. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail because I feel like, yeah. But essentially, that's what it is. It's an illusion. Um, you're just granted a high degree, of, uh, high degree of freedom, which gives you the idea, oh, I can move my hand or I can, you know, think this or think that. Speaking of illusion of freedom, uh, how do you feel about living in the United States as opposed to other, like, countries? Yeah, so for a little background, um, uh, just uh, for some context as to why Ethan might have asked that question, so I'm Filipino. I was born in the Philippines. I was born in Manila. Then I lived in Quezon City for four years before moving to Singapore. I lived there for 10 years. And then uh, in 2016, I moved to uh, the United States, Spring, Texas, which is a little suburb outside of Houston. How do I feel about living in the United States? Um, it's definitely interesting. Um, growing up in Singapore, it's, uh, it's very safe. It's very sheltered. I mean, um, life is very comfortable there. Um, <laughs> uh, it's almost kind of like you're in a bubble and not necessarily in a negative sense. Like I'm not, you know, I love Singapore. It's a beautiful country. Um, what I'll definitely say is there's a lot more here in the U S the U S is bigger in every single possible like front compared to Singapore, like geographically in terms of the people you'll meet. And so what I'll say about living in the U S 
I liked it overall. Um, and I, I like it just because of the, the crazy diverse amount of experiences that I've had here in the U.S. that I wouldn't have been able to experience if I was, you know, in Singapore. Um, but Ethan can direct me to a specific topic about living in the U.S. Is there like a favorite, like, American food that you like? Like, I don't know, maybe it's Southern food. Maybe it's like soul food. Maybe it's like avocado on toast, California food. Like, like what's your, what's your, what, what's your favorite kind of like, it, it might even be like Asian American food. Cause that's very different than the food they have like back in Asia. Actually, actually, okay. Answer that. And then I have, I have a follow-up question for you. So I love a good cheeseburger. Yes. Uh, ever since I was young, I've, I've loved cheeseburgers and I, I, I absolutely love cheeseburgers. Just something about like a really juicy beefy patty. I mean, medium rare and then the cheese dripping down the side and the bun, if it's slightly toasted, maybe it's even like something fancy like brioche. I love a good uh, burger. A close runner up that I'll say, which is why I really like Texas, is Texas barbecue. I mean, this this thing is incredible. I tried describing this to my Asian friends back in the motherland. I'm like, imagine like you have this this you know piece of meat that's been slow cooked over a low flame, like overnight, like it's been seasoned to the brim, and it comes out, it's charred black. But as soon as you stick your knife in there, it just slides through like butter, and it's beautiful. And yeah, I honestly like that's one of the things that I love about Texas, the Texas barbecue. The other question I had for you is, you know how sometimes, or sometimes here in America, we have like Asian food, but like this didn't, this didn't come from Asia. This is like straight out of America. Is there in Asia, like Western food? That's like, nah, this, they, they, they don't have this in the West. This is definitely food that came from here, but like, it's called like Western food. That is a brilliant question. Um, what I'll say is, Yes, there are Asian spinoffs um, to quote unquote Western food. What I'll say is in Singapore, uh, we're we're very culturally diverse. There, um, there are three main ethnic groups in Asia. You have the Chinese, primarily South Chinese, um, Indian, also primarily South Indian, and then the Malays. Um, and what McDonald's in Singapore does, depending on what time it is of the year, which religious um, or cultural like celebration is being held, they're going to tailor their foods according to whatever it is. So for example, for like uh, Chinese New Year, they might have like salted egg dusted like uh, fries or KFC does this salted egg like uh, floss like on their on their fried chicken and it's beautiful. Sometimes they, yeah. And uh, sometimes they have like specialized like egg tarts um, and for the Malays, for example, like um, there's this thing in, in McDonald's in Asia. I don't know if you have it here in the U.S. called shaker fries. So what it is, you put a bunch of French fries in a bag and they give you like some special like seasoning. You put it in there and then you shake the bag and then the fries become. Yeah. So that's that's a I think that's a that's a Singaporean thing um, during like Hari Raya, which, which is uh, like primarily uh, what Malays celebrate because most of them are Muslim. Like They're going to have like some sort of like sambal or like some sort of Malay seasoning that they have for shaker fries. So. That's that's what I'll say. Like fast food, Western fast food in Asia, they will customize it um, to fit like, you know, whatever ethnic group is in the country, at least for Singapore. So, uh, yeah, what I'll say, McDonald's in Singapore is like, that's definitely not Asian, but now it is. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool to see how there's like, uh, how even like for like fast food chains that us seem pretty homogenous like McDonald's. 
uh, that in different places they just have different things because i assume the mcdonald's like there are mcdonald's in like india but they don't serve the same they don't serve hamburgers like we do kind of thing which is that's that's kind of cool um i'm gonna hand my, the mic back to you oh is this like uh like a phil i can ask the ethan a question okay um let's see here why do you like cooking so much I think it's yummy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. It food tastes good. I can make food for myself at home, and it's cheaper. Uh, yeah, I mean it's fun. And sometimes you cook for people. They eat it. They think it's really good. Feels nice. Why do you like music? Why do I like music? Wow, I have a lot of answers to this. Um. Well, I'll say it's always been a part of my life. As a Filipino, I don't know if uh, you know the, the listeners on this podcast know much about Filipinos, but we love karaoke. Um, I don't know how this came to be, but I mean, I was looking you know, on one of the most reliable places you can get information, Reddit, <laughs> for why we became so karaoke obsessed. And apparently there are like, you know, uh, records by the colonial Spanish when they were going around the Philippines back in the day that we were doing a lot of rituals involving chants and like a lot of singing. So I guess that's the only like formal like uh, anthropological evidence that I have for that. I'm not sure if that's you know been vetted and checked and everything. But what I'll say is that every occasion, every birthday, every wedding, every whatever, there's karaoke, and so I've been exposed to that growing up. Um, what I'll also say is, um, you know, I've had a lot of experience with music. I mean, I was forced to go to piano lessons for. 14 years 14 years I mean I came to like it towards the end um, but I've always been exposed to like music in uh, in my life and why do I like it? I'll say that there's a certain degree of expression that cannot be achieved with you know other other forms of communication dare I say even other art forms I think music is I feel like that's just a part of like <laughs> being human. I feel like personally for me, it's definitely part of my soul. There's a part of me that wouldn't be complete if I wasn't into music. I guess there's just a part of me that I can't share with the world if music wasn't a thing. How did you come to be so well-dressed all the time? You're always pulling up in the best outfits, I will say. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your compliment. That's a very, very good question, Ethan. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, so actually, growing up, I really didn't care about the way that I looked. I mean, my dad was always on my case for that. He was always like, you know, fix your hair, like, like pick out your shoes, pick out this. Like he was always big on dressing myself up and I didn't care for the majority of my life. I mean, I tried a little bit in high school, but it wasn't anything like, you know, crazy. It was just you know, picking colors that fit. But apart from that, like I had no fashion sense whatsoever. I will only say that I started developing this fashion sense um, and taking care of myself and grooming myself in general is uh, one year ago. So <laughs> it's very recent. And uh, yeah, I was going through like some sort of uh, metamorphosis, I'd like to think. Um, what it is, is uh, a lot of things. I think the, my first year on campus here at UT, I was not doing things that I was supposed to be doing. I was kind of messing around, having too much fun on the weekends um, that was I wasn't supposed to be doing. 
Um, and I was uh, also like fresh out of a relationship. So I think all of these factors like kind of just came together and I was like, you know, what? We, we need to rebuild Jose. We need to rebuild, you know, this, this little boy and make him closer to be a little bit of a man. <laughs> and the first thing that I started taking care of was the way that I look. And I, although it's superficial, I think, at least personally for me in my journey of like, you know, self-development, that was one of the first few things which helped me, you know, build up from the ground up. And it started with finding a proper barber uh, here in UT, uh, getting my hair cut, taking care of it, putting in product, um, investing in, you know, cologne. And then, yeah, last and uh, certainly not least is my clothing. So that's how I came to be my little, you know, <laughs> dress up kind of guy now. Yeah, like the glasses, the hair, the shirt, that, that white jacket you have looks looks very nice. You said you moved here in 2016. So did you, you went to high school here in the States? Yes, uh, I went to high school. I went to Oak Ridge High School in Spring, Texas. Shout out War Eagles. Um, and uh, yeah, I actually came here in the middle of junior high. Um, and then and then I attended high school. You have more questions for me? What was the first thing you ever made? Like food? That's a that's a really good question. Um I think growing up, I always knew how to make eggs. Or like you put the eggs in the nonstick pan, you move them around with the, with the chopsticks, and then the food gets made. But I honestly can't remember the first time I actually cooked like food, food. Because uh, when I came into college, I didn't know how to cook at all. So uh, I learned then. But I remember, I guess the best answer I can give you is maybe the first thing I learned how to bake was... Uh, the first time I baked something, I baked cookies, lemon cookies. It's the same ones I bake all the time. Uh, if you're attending a, a certain retreat from March 1st through 3rd, uh, 2024, there will be the presence of a certain, of this exact cookie. I baked lemon cookies uh, in, must have been September of 2021. So the very beginning of my sophomore year of college. It was the first time I baked cookies and it turned out really well. That following April, first time I baked cake. And then the rest is history where I just kind of, I kind of do stuff and sometimes people will have their birthdays around here and then someone will be like, yo, Ethan, can you make me a cake for that? And I, I, I think I'm on this semester. I've made like one cake every single week kind of thing. So it's, it's, there's a lot of cakes. That is a lot of cakes, man. Well, I also wanted to ask you this. I mean, as, as a seasoned chef as you are, what is your go-to dish? If someone says, make me something. What's kind of the thing that pops into your mind that you would be like, okay, this is this is me on a plate. Let me demonstrate my culinary skills in the form of this dish. I don't know. It's, it's, no one's ever asked me that. So if someone did ask me that, I would just make like a really mean steak. Uh, what I think would be quite good. But in terms of like, if I had to make an, a steak, uh, a steak, a dish that was the average of the food I eat, it would be like corn tortillas with like, fried rice that like fresh fried rice in the the corn tortillas and inside the fried rice is like uh beans and like carrots and mushrooms and onions maybe a little bit of like poblano peppers and then uh, i top the whole thing with a whole bunch of like laogan ma and that's my entire like like that's a very representative sample of like things i eat on the regular i have lots of tortillas at home i have lots of laogan ma and i put those on everything 
you know, speaking of of uh, Asian ingredients, what was it like growing up as an Asian American in the U.S.? Please tell me about this because I'm curious to hear your take on it. So there's a very distinct Asian American experience here in the United States. And th- 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 of course, uh, some things are shared among multiple types of Asian Americans. I'm specifically Vietnamese American, but it's also a, sh- a specific experience of my parents are from Asia and I, I-, I am not. So there are things I think many uh, of my people would relate to where it's like my parents speak a language, but I don't necessarily speak it. I can understand when they speak it, but uh, I may not be able to speak it myself or I might be able to, to read or write, but but they can. Uh, I happen to be able to read and write Vietnamese, but I know other people who aren't. Uh, there's also things like very common things like your parents are very strict or they don't tell you a lot about their past uh, or no, sorry, about themselves at all. Not because they don't want to, because it just, it just never comes up. Like uh, they, 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 they're, they're, especially with Asians here in America, they, uh, they're a lot, they're quite likely to like, uh, like to have two parents and then like, kids usually two or three and it's like the your parents make you play piano when you're young or uh you have to do well in school go to school get all a uh yeah that's very typical of the asian american experience yeah any specifics yeah actually like it's it's interesting talking about this because uh i I, I slightly relate kind of because I only spent four years of my life like in the Philippines and then the rest of the time I grew up in Singapore. I mean, it's still Asia, but that's still a different country and the culture is like completely different, not as drastic as it would be if I if it was here in the US. Um, but I mean, personally for me, I couldn't speak my own language for when I grew up in Singapore. It was my first language. Filipino was my first language. I lost it in Singapore because I had to learn uh, Mandarin, Chinese and English. So I would reply, speak to my parents in English. They would speak to me in Filipino. It was only until the pandemic when I was, uh, funny story, I was here, I was already a UT student, but I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't come here to campus because I couldn't get a visa in time before the semester started. So I spent my first year um, at UT for my previous country of residence, which was Singapore. And so it was during this time, during the pandemic, where I got a book and I studied for two hours a day, every single day. And then I would practice just the entire time. And that's how I got my language back. But I mean, even even so, like, it's been interesting because my parents say, I mean, you're born in the Philippines, you grew up in Singapore, and then you spent your crucial like teenage years like here in the US, you know, you're in you're in the middle of your like, you know, your undergrad and your career, like development, et cetera. So my dad was like, frankly, I don't know what you are. <laughs> But I'm a weird combination of, you know, I, I would say my parents raised me Filipino. I would consider myself to be Filipino. But at the same time, I could identify culturally as Singaporean as well. And I think I've assimilated quite well um, here in, in the U.S. I mean, most people can't tell that I'm an international student unless I, I bring it up. So, yeah, kind of relate in a weird sort of way. But, yeah. One of the things I always wondered uh, about the difference between, like, I guess, Asia and here in America is in America like part of the pressure of doing well in school and having strict parents is that all of the other Asian kids are doing well in school. But in Asia, it cannot be the case that all the Asian kids are doing well in school. So like, is there that still that same, but part of it is it probably is that still that same pressure. But like, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess that's the question. Like, is there that much of a difference? Because like there's, I feel like in an almost unhealthy way, I don't know if this is distinct to America, that's part of the question, is this like Asian like perfectionism that exists uh, in Asian Americans, especially who's Asian Americans whose parents are like immigrants? That's an interesting question. Um, I can only speak from uh, 
what it was like growing up in Singapore. So what I'll say is Singapore is, is it's very high pressure. It's extremely high pressure. Um, I went to an international school, which automatically means I'm like, you know, not as smart because the hard stuff is in the public schools, the local schools there. Yes. So uh, that's the reputation of the Singaporean like education system. It's very good, but it's also extremely high pressure. You take your first national exam at like, what, 12, 13 years old? And that's, uh, I mean, what, what I'll say the main difference is everyone goes through it. Like, it's not like, what's what's different is you don't feel like here here you mentioned in the u.s like maybe it's just you maybe it's just me who's struggling or like maybe like it's just me like what about my my white friends my black friends my hispanic friends you know and i don't like maybe you don't have a lot of you know asian americans within your vicinity maybe they, they they they're growing up differently but in singapore what i'll say is everyone has to go through that and so we just think it's normal um, and this is another thing that I've noticed, like you, like this Asian perfectionism kind of thing is in Asia, for the most part, everyone just thinks it's that's the norm. And so we get used to it. Now, that's not always the case. There's some people who like disagree with it. But I mean, as, as a Singaporean, at least you get used to working really hard and outputting like really high level quality like stuff. Um, what I'll also say is like I was having this discussion with my dad uh, speak, speaking of, you know, parents not telling you much about their about their past, I was talking to him about, you know, some of my, like, difficulties here on UT, and I talked to him. He grew up poor. Both my parents grew up very poor. And I'm like, wow, my life is, like, it's way too easy. <laughs> and so I, I told my dad, and I was talking to my mom, I was like, how do you guys, like, deal? And then they're like, because we grew up poor, we grew up around a lot of people who were poor, and we grew up, like, you know, around other very hard-working Filipinos that want to break the cycle of poverty and so like they just thought it's normal like I mean my dad went through law school working full-time 40 hours a week he would go to class in the evenings maybe he'll time he'll have time to study maybe he won't and that's the thing like what I'm saying about like yeah this whole like working hard as an Asian Asian perfectionism like in Asia um sometimes we just think it's the norm and so we get used to working really hard um, whereas here in the u.s it's it's kind of you know difficult because you feel like you're the only one going through it i feel like especially i mean i can see why asian parents are like hard on their kids because a lot of them came from like nothing and they've come here to get like a good job they become an engineer they become a doctor they make a name for themselves and like they want their kids to have a better life than they did so what that means is you have to do better than i do you need to like you're given these opportunities you have to like go to med school you have to do all these things you got to become that neurosurgeon or whatever and uh and it's it's like i, I think there are definitely some things in a part of like the perfectionism that are, that are like unhealthy but like you don't want the flip side of that where someone just like goes and just like basically squanders what they've been given kind of thing yeah it's it's a very nuanced thing and um what what i'll say is like personally for me growing up like my parents my parents were too nice <laughs> my parents were way too nice I, I was very very spoiled growing up and i've like uh maybe i'm just you know very fortunate to have you know this kind of experience but i didn't really feel like any sort of you know pressure for for me to go into like a certain like field or like how much work that i have to put out like i i would say i became like for some reason, maybe it's just in my blood because they're very industrious. Like I naturally became industrious and very hardworking. And I'm not too sure where that came from, but it certainly wasn't from, from some kind of pressure. But I definitely resonate with that. Like my parents, like they they went through like a lot growing up. And so like they, 
they don't want me to go through the same thing and to use as much as I possibly can in front of me. Now, like the motivation, like I've, I've thought about this, like the way that they like push me forward. I'm, I'm very lucky in the fact that it's not like, because sometimes Asian parents, they take like what they experience and superimpose it onto your experience. It's very different when you're making dirt and you're like, you're, you're scraping rice from the bottom of a bowl versus you get a C in like history or like whatever. It's a very different experience. And so like my parents were, uh, they're very adaptable. I'm very thankful for them um, in that sense. But there are some like parents were like, no, no, like you gotta more, 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 more. Like I went through this, like I don't want this to happen in the U and they see anything mildly resembling what their situation was like in the past. And they project that on their kids. And then that's a different story. I don't think that's that's very good. But yeah. I have a topic for us. It's dating. And basically, the question is, uh, like, I wonder, because if you look at the statistics, one of the things that most likely will indicate that you get married and stay married are like there's, there's other ones like if you're college ed- educated you're more likely to get married and stay married if you're religious you're more likely to get married but one of the things is just you're asian and i wonder I, I wonder why i wonder like part of it is like the family means a lot but i wonder how that changes and interacts with like asian americans living in america and how that also interacts with like like i wonder if Perf- like Asian perfectionism and the way that it, it, it occurs in Asian Americans, like what effect like with the perfectionism you're talking about, like has an effect like on dating. I don't know. Any, any, any thoughts? That's a very complex question. I, I'm not, I'm not too sure how to exactly answer that. Um, how Asian perfectionism affects dating. Wow. That's very interesting. Um, <laughs> well, okay. That's actually, quite good um what i'll say to that is sometimes standards are stupid high and unreasonably high that's what i'll say i mean i i do have some like perfectionist like standards myself uh like you know not not just in dating but just in general like i do have some you know tendencies that are a little bit you know perfectionist but um yeah i i will say that like you know it's good to have high standards but at the same time you kind of have to be realistic I th- I think like it's not okay this is this is a very nuanced argument that I'm making right like let me just say straight up perfect doesn't exist perfect doesn't exist I think you can have someone who's real and has a lot of the favorable qualities of of like a wife or a husband or whatever at the same time what makes a person who they are is well, they're limitations. <laughs> so I think like, yeah, the role that Asian perfectionism can come to that, like unbelievably high standards and not recognizing that, you know, you have to be realistic at times. Yeah. And I don't know, this is some things that come to mind are like uh, things like, oh, I'm not going to get married until like I finish all of my like med school, law school thing. I'm not going to marry till after that. At that time you're like, I don't know, let's assume you're in your early thirties and it's like, uh, especially as like a Catholic where to say that like part of getting married is like you build your life with someone even when there are uncertainties like um, like I don't know people personally but there are definitely holy Catholic individuals who get married while they're in like law school or like a woman who has a, a child while she's in law school or stuff like that and so, something about that just seems very beautiful but something about like Asian like because I have uh, cousins of mine who they're, they're, they're older 
but they're, they're they're not really Catholic. But it's like they didn't get married till after they finished like all their schooling. And something about that, like it's giving that same perfectionism. And it's like it seems like it's like missing the point. And even when they raise their kids, it's like oh, I got to get everything right. And it's like it's like part of it is you got to like live life. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? That okay. I, I I deeply resonate with that because you know I I personally like. Yeah, I've I've definitely seen that. I've definitely seen where people like, you know, are focused on their careers entirely for um, you know, I mean something about that feels, you know, a, a little weird to me. I mean, my parents uh my parents are a little unique. They they met in their last year of undergrad and they dated throughout grad school. And they got married after things settled down. But they were definitely building something while they were, you know, while while they were dating. And so that's a good point. I feel like a part of that too is very much related to Asian perfectionism. Like you have to get things at this time, exactly this way, et cetera, et cetera. Like I'm gonna be like when I'm a doctor, like I'm gonna after that, once I have my life settled down, you know, I'm not saying be stupid and be blindly rushing into things and but also like I feel like love will happen when it <laughs> when God says it will, you know. And so you never know who you're gonna meet. I was talking to, like you know to my dad about this, and he was like, you know, <laughs> love finds you. That's pretty much how it works. So, yeah, I feel like yes, that's definitely a good point to bring up. Yeah, like like mild ick is whenever. Uh, I guess you hear this more from the ladies, but you hear this from guys too, where it's like, uh, oh yeah, I'm not really interested in anything because I want to like focus on my career, and it's like whenever your career starts that it's like there's some truth to like the like the asian parents saying like you got to focus on your schoolwork and then after you're like oh why are you not married yet and it's like there's it's 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 that it's that like it's that like dichotomy of like oh this is the time for this this is the time for this and and no it's 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 a little bit more like fluid than that of course if you're a little too young and you're not ready to like discern like dating and like marriage and stuff it makes sense but like i don't know like the hard cutoffs you see in the asian perfection is something about that icky absolutely oh my goodness so i there's there's a good friend of ours his name's elliot he's a singaporean shout out elliot i I, I love my boy elliot uh wherever you are if you listen to this podcast shout out brother you already know (laughs) but (laughs) yeah so elliot and i were talking about this and it's definitely true for I, I don't like at least for my East Asian friends and and Singaporeans too where we're I mean most of us most most Singaporeans are Chinese like throughout school no you focus on your studies first you study first get high grades and oh you get a job everything high paying while out everything first and then as soon as you get like a job like as soon as you progress to that next stage yeah so got girlfriend or not <laughs> marry or not yeah. why you marrying a girlfriend ah? Like it's, I don't know. It's 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 strange because for most of your life you've been told, focus on your career, get your stuff done, etc. And so you got this mindset being drilled into your brain throughout while you're going through this arduous process, whatever. I mean, any any career to take some building, right? And you get used to that, and then all of a sudden, like you're if you primarily focus on that purely on that, like you're like, oh my gosh, like I don't know how to talk to women, <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know what i'm saying like you you're like i feel like if you tunnel vision you know just this if you play the asian perfection playbook exactly down to the like every single last thing exactly 
I, I think it's going to be real tough when you're transitioning into like, okay, uh, outside of things that are going to be not covered by the play, like playbook. You meet a girl in grad school or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, something that you had said earlier that I wanted to go back to is the idea of like, uh, like s- standards for like, uh, for people. And it's one of those things like you, you setting standards high, but you have to be real. Uh, and part of that isn't that to be real means to lower your standards, but like to be real means to like, uh, there are some preferences that I think like don't matter. Like some things like, uh, I guess, I guess I'll ask you this. It's like, what would you consider dating someone who isn't Asian? I'll say yes. Um, I've talked about this with my parents as well. Um, and this is, this is interesting. So, uh, as a Filipino, I will say that, like, you know, it's it's an interesting experience. Dating as a Filipino and also being married as a Filipino is a, is an interesting experience. Now, I'm not saying that I have, you know, all the knowledge on this. I'm only 21, my goodness. But, like, uh, part of the things which comes with being, with being Filipino is you don't marry a person. You marry a family. You marry a family. This is, you're not marrying into a marriage. You're marrying into marriage and a family. And this is a very important thing. This is one of the most, like, the the core of Filipino culture is the family. Like, my, uh, if ideally my dad would be living with his parents, with his wife, or the other way, with his in-laws. Um, typically, uh, yeah, typically what happens is, uh, actually, I'm not too sure if, uh, if the guy moves in with the in-laws or the girl does. But what I will say is that's very important. You most, like, ideally you want to be with your parents, you know, either hers or yours. And so uh, how much that translates into my standards, that's a very important thing to consider because my mom's going to want to take care of my my grandkids. What if my wife's not up to that? She's like, no, like what? Like, no, this, this, these, these, these are kids. This, like, this, this, this is my children. This is your children. This is our kids. Not, not, not your mom's or whatever. That's a very important thing. Um, if she's not open to moving with, you know, moving in with, with my parents, like that's, that's going to be a big thing. And so when you say, would you date other like, uh, women outside of Asians? Yes. But you, you feel me? There's, there's a little bit of complexity there because sure. A non-Filipina could have those values, but at the same time, they're Filipino values. So Filipinos have them. <laughs> yeah. And part of it is just like, like a, like a culture thing. Like, uh, my parents have told me, yeah, they they really don't care. But like, there is like a level of recognition that like, uh, if I brought home like a Vietnamese girl, that it would just like be easier. Uh, yeah, but we're like like they they, they wouldn't mind. Uh, uh, especially, uh, well, the I mean, as someone who's like very Catholic, my dad's a deacon. Uh, it's like like the the quality of like her being a good Catholic girl. Like they 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 know that that's one of the qualities I look for. But like th- that that's quite important. But like the Vietnamese thing, it's also important. Like anytime. Uh, anyone probed me about, oh, Ethan, you have a girlfriend yet? Then the first question is not, is she Catholic? The first question is always, is she Asian? Dang, that's a really good point. I mean, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it matters. It, it matters. Like, of course, like one of the big questions is like, you know, uh, at least for at least for me, like as a practicing Catholic, like Catholic is is definitely up there, but it's also it's it's different and and i'll add a level of complexity to that too asian and asian american 
that's um uh, that's not necessarily a negative thing but but asian americans are are very different from from asians like uh like from from my home country exceptionally different i will say in the case of a filipina but um yeah it's complex dating dating is hard man i th- i think dating is 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 very complex and i feel like part of me wants to go back to you know the naive and foolish like you know teenage like I meet a girl and then all of a sudden which i'm not saying that's that's wrong some people really like you know sometimes that's exactly what happens but i feel like as i age i'm starting to notice all the the levels of complexity and all the different like things that actually go into you know finding a girl so yeah yeah uh and i don't know as like being catholic helps with this but sometimes it feels like if you like date or marry someone outside of your race and a lot of people are more accepting now but sometimes especially the people who are like very Vietnamese like it's like oh you're like you're like a race trader in like a, in like, a, like a weird way <laughs> race trader wait wait <laughs> race trader is crazy my goodness I mean oh man uh that's that's crazy yeah oh well but it, it is a complex question if you don't mind answering would you date a non-Vietnamese Ethan I would date a non-Vietnamese, uh, mainly because one of the qualities I like about myself is that I don't really care what other people think. And yeah, that's that. that yeah. So I, I 100% would. Uh, holy Catholic woman. And if I feel the call, uh, I answer the call. So that's, that's simple. Amen to that, brother. And let me let me ask you the same question you asked me. Then, would you date a non-Asian? <laughs> now, given given your answer, I mean, yeah, one hundred percent. If I feel the call, uh, yeah, if I feel the call, I, I answer the call. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Okay. Wow. He's uh, he's sticking to his Catholic roots. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Oh, oh, you do. Yeah, yeah. So another thing about having standards. Is like, uh, like some. So we both we both come to the conclusion that like maybe them being Asian isn't like a hard and fast like 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 it's not a red like being not Asian is not a red flag, uh. But like th- there are some places where like the standards matter. Like if this person is very like ethically dubious, probably not. But th- I think there are definitely things that like are people have as like preferences that like 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 you hear like the oh the guy has to be really tall you hear this a lot where it's like uh you hear that a lot but like is that really a thing that matters i don't think so uh does it matter if he's like very like caring and like protecting yeah i i, I think the thing that is is a thing that matters sometimes being tall is indicative of that but like just because he's not tall like that having and, and sometimes this happens for the guys too of things that are like more shallow or, or things like that of course one can have preferences but like if something that is very shallow is like a a hard and fast like red flag green flag kind of thing something about that seems weird yeah i I really like that you brought this up because i was planning to watch this uh this podcast which actually deals with um like the complexities of dating and part of that is balancing you know uh certain certain standards that you have like you know for example like physical attractiveness versus you know uh other things you're looking for whatever on the other end this is this is uh, this is a very complex thing. Now, you know, you're me being, you know, a, a very like, you know, romantic and idealistic person. I I would love I would love for things to be like, you know, it's truly for their merit of character. At the same time as I've aged and I've come to realize a few things, that's not like that's not all there is to it. Um uh like physical attraction to an extent, I will say 
to which what to each their own whatever line they draw does uh, like it matters to some people and i can see that other things such as like you know um obviously if we're I'm I'm trying to go for the more like niche like standards or like the ones that you know there's a little bit of gray area. For example, like music taste or clothing style or like what do they watch? What do they read? What kind of hobbies do they have? Like th- these are these are things which like you know to some people they don't care at all. They're like, oh, I'm just gonna go for someone who's like morally, you know, etc. But I really do think that these play a non-negligible role um, when um, when it comes to finding someone that you like. So what 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 do you think, Ethan? Yeah, I think 100%. Uh, I think there are some things like, like for instance, if you like don't like the way like your significant other's voice sounds, like I feel like the thing you're going to be doing most with your uh, with your spouse once you're married is like talking to each other. So if that like bothers you like like that, it's not like a deal breaker, but like a heavy consideration against where like these things exist or like if it's like if you really like like classical music and the other person seems like no interest whatsoever and it's like a big part of what you like like something about that seems uh i mean part of like discerning a good spouse is like can you build a common life together and it doesn't mean that you need to do the same things they do or like the same like you can have different music tastes but it's like can you grow in the appreciation of their music taste and and to love them for them kind of thing and sometimes there's like obstinacies there of like that that like prevent that like oh i don't, I don't want to listen to your kind of music kind of thing yeah, and once again, I keep saying this over and over again, but it's it's complex and it's intricate, and a lot of things go into like the into discerning, like if if you're to actually like enter a relationship with someone or like get married, right? So uh, yeah, I mean, what I've come to realize is just you know pick wisely, <laughs> choose wisely because it's difficult. There are a lot more things that than uh, that meets the eye, pun intended. But um, yeah, absolutely, I I agree that you know it's much more than. The romantic idealistic things or like the idea of dating them that's a big thing it's can we actually like you know can we vibe what's the vibe right yeah i think uh especially as a catholic in like a very catholic catholic center we're at uh i think there are certain aspects of like dating or even like asking someone out that are taken for granted like 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 i think the fact that a girl's a lot of fun fun to be around is a it's a hundred percent valid reason to ask her out. Like, like even if you like, like even if it's like, oh, I don't know how like deep her spiritual life is. No, no, no. It, it, you, she's a lot of fun. Ask her out. Like, amen, amen, amen to that, brother. And oh my goodness. Okay, I, I, I feel like the both of us have a lot to say about this. But yeah, like I, I think that's an absolutely valid reason to, uh, to ask someone out if they're fun. You get along. Like honestly, personally, for me, I don't know, but there, there are. Like, there are only a few, like, you know, rare occasions that I truly click for someone word for word, like, wavelength for wavelength. You feel me? And I think that's a completely valid reason to to ask someone out on a date. And another thing that I'll say is, um, yeah, asking out someone on a date. I feel like a lot of people, especially in the Catholic community, have a lot of negative misconceptions about it. I think, uh, I mean, part of it, like, I I didn't know this, like like, growing up, but... I didn't realize that a date just means like it's an opportunity to get to know someone better and like worst comes to worst you just have a new friend and if it keeps going you maybe will go on a second date and perhaps at some point you guys could you know gravitate towards like a relationship but a lot of people see that and they're like oh no it's too serious or like da 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 but yeah what's your take on that Ethan Yeah I think that uh I don't know uh I I like the 
concept and i think it should be the way that like dates are a very casual thing like if you like ask someone on a date and they say no it's not like oh we're awkward around each other forever no it's it's like oh yeah that, that that's fine uh and of course you, you can say no uh the and uh, in this in my mind i'm assuming the guy's kind of asking the girls out uh but if a girl i think it's a it's it's just a guy wants to get to know you a little bit better i feel like if as a girl unless you have like safety concerns or something it's always nice to like it's always nice to like just say yes to a first date because like you just get to know someone better and if it doesn't click you don't go on a second date but it's like very casual like it doesn't mean anything romantically significant like like a date not going well should not have the gravity of a breakup and sometimes it feels like in catholic like communities where it's like everyone's very focused on like oh uh, let me like go discern my my wife now of who i'm gonna marry for the rest of my life and dating is not that dating or so there's dating but it's just going on dates which is a step completely prior to that that's it's very fun it's very casual and i think that um like uh, there was a point in in many moons ago, many years ago, where uh, a woman would maybe go on like a date with like a like go on a date with one guy this week and go on like an, another date, kind of like a different guy next week, uh, and maybe go on the, the following week with, with, with like one of the first guy. It's a very casual thing. It's not you're not in a committed romantic relationship. You're just going on dates, get to know someone a little better, and like you said, maybe maybe you make a new friend, but it's a very casual thing. Yeah, we need to get rid of that, like, you know, stigma about, like, you know, oh, my goodness, like, what does this mean for a friendship? Like, oh, my gosh, like, uh, my goodness, dude, like, it's like, gosh. And while we're on the topic, uh, I, I know this buzzword has popped up uh, a couple of times. How do you feel about implied dating? <laughs> What do you mean by implied dating? Like, 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 kind of like a situation ship that appears. Like, what does implied dating mean? I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. Let's say an implied date first. How about that? An implied date. How does this go? Um, uh, let's say there's been. I let, let's 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 paint the picture. You've been, you know, friends for, for a little while and then you guys go out to get quote-unquote food and then throughout the time that you're there, there are a couple of, you know, suggestive exchanges or some sort of like, you know, uh, for like flirtatious even advance or what whatever. Um, but how do you feel about, you know, quote-unquote implied dates? I think implied dates are just like not good in the sense that like... Uh, the the upside is let's say both of you have feelings. Upside is boom, it's basically a date. But if if because I don't know, the big thing about like that level of indeterminacy or even like flirtatiousness is there's a certain level of like plausible deniability of of someone to say like oh I, I was just being friendly or, or stuff like that, and then someone could like get yeah get make signals. Someone thought someone liked them, but they didn't, and and I don't know. There's a whole bunch of mess there. Like I feel like especially if you if like you want to go on a date, go on a date. I feel like going on like one-on-one -on -one outings guy and a girl girl doesn't know if she's being led on maybe guy doesn't know if he's being led on that the, that lack of clarity just doesn't seem like something that like that like you as, as a person maybe perhaps looking to find a girlfriend or a boyfriend like is deserving of that like lack of clarity because if it's like oh this is a date like like i i, I do want to go to date but do i want to hang out no I, I got other friends to hang out with and it's one of those things like to be intentional is very good so i my opinion of like these like happenstance or implied dates is is relatively poor i think if a guy wants to spend one-on-one -on -one time with a girl just like say like the date like like part of this is the stigma that date means something like super heavy and no it's it's like be very clear i would like to go on a date with you part of this to get to know them so that potentially something romantic occurs but 
again, it's very casual, but using the word date when you ask someone on a date so that you know <laughs> what it is. Because I think the implied thing, it's, it's we're, best case scenario, both of you like each other, great. Worst case scenario, uh, worst case scenario is like you waste their time, you lead them on, stuff that you can avoid by just saying the word date. Amen to that, brother. Now, I, I have a very interesting take on like a quote-unquote implied date. Because sometimes, I mean, these can happen like 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 you said, there's this sense of like ambiguity that, that comes to it. But if it works out, it works out. Like maybe like, you know, uh, for example, um, like a group of friends are supposed to hang out. Everyone cancels except for you two. Like this is the kind of thing that's like, oh, okay, it's like oh, we just ended up in this situation. And yeah, I definitely agree with with what you're saying about the the clarity because that's that's pretty important. Now, best case scenario, you guys both like each other and you just don't have the balls. <laughs> or yeah, just like that, but at the same time, like it is a double-edged sword. Like they're like in in mixed in with that ambiguity is one wasting time or le- leading someone on or their lines are not boundaries are not clearly established and all of a sudden like, you know, the other person is 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 catching feelings or etc. So, yeah, uh, implied date, if it goes well, cool. If not, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, yeah, poor, poor view on that. Yeah, I, I think that, okay, give, let's, let's go back to the scenario where uh, there was like a big plan, but then like people weren't there. I, I feel like that's one of those things that like, uh, like that's clearly different than like the, yo, you want to hang out? And, and like the guy has to go, do you want to hang out? And it's just like, oh, do you want to hang out? And it's unclear what's happening for, uh, in the girl's perspective. Uh, I think that that's quite different than like the, oh, it, the happenstance. Because the happenstance, the girl could say, oh, this was happenstance. He, he's not trying to pull anything. And there's like, there, that one has more of like a plausible deniability of, okay, it's, it, it is not really anything romantic happening. Whereas if, if a guy intentionally, if not intentionally, but if a guy asks a girl, do you want to hang out? There's, it's like, oh, he's being intentional that he asked me by myself, but then he, it's unclear what this is. It's not being defined. So it's kind of different. But I, I, I think, yeah, I generally, generally, or on all the other stuff, or on all this stuff, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying about, like, the, uh, yeah, dating. Yeah, and I think, honestly, like, um, what I'll say, too, about, like, the quote-unquote implied date is, like, there's also, like, a, I don't know, like, sometimes I, I mean, at least for my parents, like, they they went on a bunch of uh like implied dates uh as well but the there there was a sense of like you know how do i word this like it was like organic in the sense that my dad was like you know i just want to spend more time with her he didn't have any like ulterior motives um my mom also just wanted to spend time with him but I, perhaps like part of it was like you know maybe <laughs> they were both in some state of denial at some point that's also another thing and so yeah i i think that uh yeah if it goes well it's it's good if it if it doesn't that's unfortunate i think another thing is like the threshold of asking someone a date meaning a lot means that it's very inorganic the first time you ask someone but if it's something that's very chill and very low commitment then when you ask someone like it, it is still organic cuz you you are just still like like friends kind of thing. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I think that that's the, the main problem that we, we keep running into. The fact that this date thing, especially in the Catholic world means so much whenever we all talk about how it should mean less. Uh, yeah. Like uh, my parents were like studied the same thing in school. And so that's how they knew each other. They were in the same like friend group study group thing. And then, uh, yeah, I think after some point uh, my dad was just like, Oh, let me, let me, let me go. Uh, ask her if she wants to go to the movies with me on a date. And then, so that was, uh, yeah, that's how that happened. 
rest is history. Yeah, that's the same with my parents. It was a movie date. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of dating, I wanted to ask you about your take on this because I was talking about uh, one of my friends about this. How do you feel about dating apps? How do I feel about dating apps? Uh, as, yeah, I, I probably think less of dating apps. Uh, yeah, mainly because like uh, whenever I look for things in a spouse, I am not particularly looking for like specific hobbies or uh, to some extent uh, not looking too much for physical attractiveness or like qualities about them that can be on, a, on like a sheet of paper. The main things that I'm evaluating are like how good are they? Uh, what's their relationship with God? How What is their cultivation of virtue? And how well do I see them both being a wife and like being a mother are like the main like qualities. And part of this isn't like, oh, let me check out all the facts and make a good wife. But like, like things that are like, I feel like less conducive to the modern field of dating apps, at least for me. In general, I think certain dating apps like are like hookup apps that are probably not good for people. But uh, yeah, that's basically. Interesting. That's an interesting take. Huh, I see. So it's not necessarily like uh, like the medium of which you you like you like find the person. I see. Ah, oh, me personally, I'm a. Uh, I, I like organic things. <laughs> um. For me, like it just seems, uh, I don't know. Personally, I feel weird now. Maybe this might change if I'm like older or something. But because my my seventh grade teacher, it's funny. Um, we met up like uh, last year, and he, <laughs> it's hilarious. He was single and like 27 or whatever when I was when I was a student as a seventh grader. And now he's married with two kids, and he found his wife on Hinge. And I think the difference there is, I mean, he's older. He knows what he wants. He's not immature. He pretty much, you know, he knows exactly what he's looking for. And, you know, like, Kinge was just merely a way to, like, you know, not, not, not in a weird way, like, expedite that process. But you know what you want. And this is a nice avenue for you to meet other people who, who do as well. But, yeah, personally for me, I'm like a, you know, meet them by chance, by fate kind of guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, as for the, the apps that are like for like hookups, yeah, absolutely not. I think that that speaks for itself, but yeah, in terms of actually using it correctly, I don't, I don't know if that's really for me, at least now. Yeah, not for me, but there are definitely, uh, apps that are like, especially specifically catered ones, like, like Catholic dating apps where like, there's like a similarity of values or there's like farmers only where it's like, it's a dating <laughs> app for like farmers and like, and like you need to have some like. I think you need to have some like proof or something that like you own a farm or so, something something like that. But so some of those, it's like, oh, that that's kind of nice. It's like carrying people with like similar value set. So like a marriage there would work. And it's not just like you're not going on farmers only to use it as a hookup app, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are people who like, you know, use it properly and they they know what they're doing. Again, this this kind I guess this kind of just comes with age, but yeah, no. Uh yeah, personally for me, organic organic's the way to go. Um, but more power to people who find their wife or, you know, have already a bunch of kids. Shout out Mr. Punjabi uh, from St. Joseph's Institution International. I love you. I miss you. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any parting words for the podcast? Parting words for the podcast. Let's see. Hmm. Wow. I wish I had a really good one-liner. I'll just, I'll just say a bunch of quotes that I think are cool. Uh, life is too short to make all the mistakes by yourself. So learn from other people. That's one that I like. 
Um, and uh, here's, uh, let's see. Live a little, love people, love God, be good, do the right thing as much as you can. And uh, hook them horns, baby. Let's go. Amen. Amen.